Hello, friends. How are you? I hope this finds you in good health and secure. Um, thank you for your practice and for being here and for your support, as always, liking and subscribing to help promote the channel. Um, I'm noticing, I did a little pre-read, pre as I usually do, just to get my mind into where we are in the in the discussion. And I noticed uh, he, the use of the word being here is different than uh, I use it. And so uh, just preemptively to try to make sure, to, to attempt anyway, to alleviate confusion. You know, I use the word being as a verb, which it is, obviously. But in the sense that I use it, being is a moment-to-moment -moment instantiation, right? That being in the act of being. <sighs> Language has its limitations because obviously the way this author translates it, um, he uses being to mean the act of hanging on to past and future craving and clinging as being. In other words, he's using beings as the establishment of a self, whereas I use being as a dislodging, a leaving behind the past, future self as a permanence, right? Um, same word, but, <laughs> and I, I really noticed it this morning. So um, hopefully you'll be able to understand it as we get into it. Uh, what is the reason the Buddha's the world honors one's preaching of the Dharma in accord with what is peculiarly appropriate is difficult to understand and hard to know. At that time, the world honored one wishing to restate this meaning proclaimed Gatha's saying. The Dharma king who demolishes being, there it is. See, if you understand being is a moment to moment to moment to moment to moment, then there's nothing to demolish because it's already gone, right? The well gone, right? Do you understand where that comes from now? Whereas the way it's being used here demolishes being is the idea of a permanent abiding being of self, of soul, of selfness, yeah? It's, he demolishes it, right? Takes it apart, and exposes it. Same word, very different meaning. Opposite, actually. So, the Dharma king who demolishes being appears in the world and in accord with the desires of the beings, right, preaches the Dharma in various ways. So he's speaking to unenlightened beings. In other words, people hung up about identity, identification. The thus come one, being venerable, his wisdom profound and far-reaching, long kept silence on this essential matter, and has in no haste to tell of it. And was in no haste to tell of it. Sorry, Pfft. reading. Those having intelligence, if they hear of it, can then believe and understand it. While those of no intelligence... <laughs> having doubts and second thoughts, will then, on that account, 
lose it forever. And that's a real tangible fear of the teaching, right? That if you teach it to people who aren't ready to hear it, it'll actually be counterproductive, work against their ability to get there. And that's something you don't want to do, right? For this reason, O Kashyapa, I preach for you in accord with your powers, your intellect, your reasoning and rationality. By resort to a variety of means, enabling you to see properly. Kashyapa, know that, for example, it is as if a great cloud were to arise in the world, universally covering everything. A beneficent cloud containing enriching moisture, right? Rain cloud. Its lightning flashes bright and illuminating. Its thunder sounds far-reaching and shattering, causing the multitudes to rejoice. The light of the sun is covered by it, and the surface of the earth is clear and cool. The cloud is spread out and hangs down as if one could actually touch it. Its rain everywhere equal. Descends equally on all four sides, envisioning every surface of the planet, yeah? Infusing without measure, so that the whole earth is filled, the mountains, rivers, steep valleys. Am I having any problems over here? No, okay. I just heard the fans whirl up on the computer. I thought, hopefully I'm not skipping a bunch of frames, and I'm not. So, the mountains, rivers, steep valleys, and cavernous recesses, Products of grass, trees, and medicinal herbs, of trees great and small, of a hundred grains, of shoots and plants, of sweet potatoes and grapes infused by the rain. Do not fail to prosper. Dry earth is everywhere moistened. Herbs and trees flourish together from the product of that cloud, water of a single flavor. The grass and trees, the shrubs and forests, each in due portion receive infusion. Right? Each of those different kinds of vegetation, they all absorb from this one flavor of ghee, if you will, what they need. They don't all absorb the same amount of rain, do they? They all absorb to their capacity. This is the importance of this lesson. All trees, high, intermediate, and low, in accordance with their size, are each enabled to grow. Their roots, their stalks, their branches, and their leaves, their blossoms and their fruits, having luster and color, what the one reach, uh, rain reaches, all gain gains a, a fresh gloss, according as its substance, its signs, and its natural portion are great or small. What is infused into all of these is one and the same, yet they flourish and prosper severally. In this way, the Buddha also appears in the world, like this great quenching rain, yes? As if he were a great cloud universally covering all. Once having emerged into the world for the sake of living beings with discrimination, he sets forth the reality of the dharmas. 
the great sage, the world-honored one, among gods and men, and in the midst of the multitudes, proclaims these words. I am the thus come one, the suchness of Buddha. Yeah? Venerable among two-legged beings, emerging into the world just like a great cloud, I fully infuse all. The dried-out beings, right? the samsaric beings, causing them to all be separated from woe, liberated from samsara, and to gain the pleasure of tranquility, worldly pleasure, and the pleasure of nirvana. The multitudes of gods and men, well and single-mindedly listening, should all come hither to behold the unexcelled venerable one. I am the world-honored one, he whom none can reach. Right? You ever try to reach the cloud that rain falls from? To put the living beings at their ease, for that have I appeared in the world. For the great multitude I preach the Dharma pure and as sweet dew, the Dharma having a single flavor, that of deliverance and nirvana. Really, two words saying the same thing, right? The release of cravings and clingings. With a single subtle sound, I set forth this meaning. Constantly for the greater vehicle's sake, giving causes, I, in viewing all, Regard all, without exception, as equal, since I have neither that nor this. Right? The differentiation is the illusion. Nor any thought of love or hatred. So love, he speaks of, is mundane love, right? The attachment love. That's not the love we're talking about. That's not the compassion we're talking about. I have videos about this, Buddhist compassion, right? And love. Love has many definitions, right? You know, as a teenager, we learn about 50 of them, <laughs> right? I have no greed or attachment, nor have I any limitations or encumbrances, any influences. Constantly and for the sake of all, equally I preach the Dharma as for one person, so for many. Constantly I have proclaimed the Dharma, never having any other business, going or coming, sitting or standing, never feeling fatigue or disgust. I have filled the world just as the rain moistens everything, noble and base, superior and inferior, those who keep the discipline and those who violate it, those who bearing it perf uh, be whose bearing is perfect and imperfect, those of right views and those of wrong views, those of keen faculties and those of dull faculties, sending down the Dharma rain equally and never wearying. Among the living beings, those who hear my Dharma in accordance with what they are strong enough to accept dwell on their several grounds. Some dwell among men and gods, wheel-turning sage kings, 
Sakra, Brahma, and their several kings. These are the lesser medicinal herbs. Those who know dharmas without outflows, who can attain nirvana, who can raise up the six supernatural penetrations and attain the three clarities, who can dwell alone on mountains and in forests, who constantly practice dhyana concentration, and who contrive to bear direct witness as conditioned perceivers, right, prachaka buddhas. These are the intermediate medicinal herbs. Those who seek the place of the world-honored one, we will become buddhas, who carry out concentration with earnest striving. Concentration, what do you think? he means by that, right? Focused invocation, what we do when we chant to our mandala. These are the superior medicinal herbs, also the Buddha's sons, who devote their thoughts exclusively to the Buddha path, who constantly practice goodwill and compassion, who know that they themselves shall become Buddhas decidedly and without any doubt. No intermediate steps. No, I have to accomplish this first, then I can do that. Directly, directly go to Buddhahood because it's already there. The confidence to know that is difficult to understand and to believe. This is what he's talking about. We all want to settle for intermediate steps, but all we're doing is getting in our own way. This is the big lesson in this chapter and the chapter before, right? This is what the the, uh, great beings in the chapter before through Makashapa um, is expressing, right? As we closed out the last chapter, oh, we didn't even know that this is what we were going for. We didn't think this was even accessible to us. And now here it is. Ah, right? That is the preparatory meat of the Lotus Sutra, yeah? Decidedly and without any doubts, these are called small trees. Those who dwell secure in supernatural penetrations, who turn the wheel that does not backslide, who ferry across incalculable millions of hundreds of thousands of living beings, such bodhisattvas as these are called by name great trees. There's that adjective great again, right? Not great because of accolades, but great because of the merits they've accumulated. Their, their activity as the supreme of beings in samsara. The Buddha's undifferentiating preaching, preaching is like the rain of a single flavor, in accord with the beings' natures, differently received, just as what those grasses and trees receive is in every case different. The Buddha's use of these parables and expedient devices to demonstrate and of a variety of words and phrases to set forth the one dharma 
is to the Buddha's wisdom like one drop of water to the ocean. I send down the Dharma rain, filling the world and the Dharma of a single flavor they put into practice in accord with their powers, just as those shrubs and forests, medicinal herbs and several trees, in accord with their size, gradually increase in fluorescence and loveliness. The Dharma of the Buddhas, by the contact, uh, constant use of a single flavor, causes the several worlds universally to attain perfection, by gradual practice, all to obtain the fruit of the way. This is, this is of critical importance, right? To understand. All to obtain the fruit of the way. The voice hearers and conditioned perceivers, dwelling on mountains and in forests, occupying their final bodies, right? Using the rhetoric that they're accustomed to. Hearing the Dharma and gaining the fruits, these are called by the name of medicinal herbs which severally gain in growth. If the bodhisattvas, their wisdom firm, penetrating the three spheres in their understanding, seek the supreme vehicle, these are called small trees, which gain in growth. Again, there are those who dwell in dhyana, who gain the strength of supernatural penetration, who hearing of the emptiness of the dharmas, at heart are overjoyed, who emitting numberless rays ferry across the living beings. These are called great trees. Right? These are penetrating insights. And again, as bodhisattvas, sharing those penetrating insights become very influential. Greater bodhisattva, yeah? In this way, Okashyapa, is the Dharma preached by the Buddha to be likened to a great cloud, which, with the rain of a single flavor, moistens human flowers, enabling each to perfect its fruit. Kashyapa, let it be known that when by invoking causes and conditions and a variety of parables, I demonstrate the Buddha path, this is my expedient device. The other Buddhas are also this way. Now, for your sakes, I preach the most true reality. The multitude of voice hearers have in no wise crossed over to extinction. What you are now treading is the Bodhisattva path. By the gradual cultivation of learning, you shall all achieve Buddhahood. Now, this is going to come back to more meaning later when he talks about you and I, the bodhisattvas from beneath the earth, yeah? So I'm curious to see how he's going to introduce, this translation is going to introduce that part of this sutra. Pretty cool stuff. And if you take it apart slowly, it all makes perfect, consistent sense, Yeah. Oh, he has a note here. What has appeared above in chapter 5 is a translation based on Kumarajiva's version. That version, however, lacks the latter half of this chapter, and what appears immediately below is translated directly from the Sanskrit. Okay, interesting. 
So normally chapter 5 would end there, but there's a quite a lengthy addition here. Oh yeah, different verses. This is all from the Sanskrit from which uh, Kumarajiva would have been working. I haven't seen this before, or maybe it's been included without the note. Let's see. Where are we time-wise? Yeah, we have some time to get into it. You ready? Again, O Kashyapa, the thus gone one, oh, the thus gone one. Again, this, this uh, little device of language, uh, understanding that we live moment to moment, and that being, as I use it, is happening as a momentum, not as a static thing. Which admittedly, as I talk about it now, is my own interpretation. So, understanding that the, the, the well gone, the thus gone one is about I'm speaking to you and I'm giving you instruction and I'm enlightening you, but I'm doing this moment to moment with you. I'm no longer, I'm no longer here because here is now, it's a moving point. Yeah. So it's a, an interesting language device, but nonetheless accurate. Okashapa, the thus gone one, in his guidance of the beings, is equitable, not inequitable. In other words, treats everyone because Buddhahood is the capacity of all of us. He doesn't treat us all differently, although our ability to absorb what he's teaching is different. And therefore, he may apply, like he says, skillful words, phrases, namo myorengeikyo, as a means for anyone of any level to gain access to this one teaching. Makes sense, right? Okashapa, just as the light of the sun and the moon illuminates the whole world, both him who does well and him who does ill, both him who stands high and him who stands low, the good smelling and the bad smelling, just as the light falls everywhere equally, not unequally, in just that way, Okashapa does the light of the thought of the knowledge of all knowing, of the thus gone ones, the worthy ones, the properly and fully enlightened ones, the demonstration of the true Dharma, function equally among all beings in the five destinies according to their predispositions. Be they persons of the great vehicle, persons of the vehicle of the individually enlightened, or persons of the vehicles of the auditors. Nor in the light of the knowledge of the thus gone one is there either de uh, deficiency or superfluity, for the light conduces to the knowledge in accord with the merit. O Kashapa, there, is not, there are not three vehicles. There are only beings of severally different modes of conduct, and for that reason, three vehicles are designated. When this had been said, the long-lived Mahakashyapa said to the Blessed One, or the Enlightened One, If, O Enlightened One, there are not three vehicles, what is the reason for the present designation of auditors, individually enlightened, and bodhisattvas. 
Why have these three classes of monks if there are not three vehicles? When this had been said, the Buddha said to the long-lived Mahakashyapa, It is just as the potter, O Kashyapa, makes pots with the same clay. Among them, some become pots for sugar lumps, some pots for clarified butter, and some pots for curds of milk, while some become pots for inferior and filthy things. And just as there is no difference in the clay, but rather a supposed difference in the pots based solely on the things put into them, in this way, Okashapa, is there this one and only one vehicle to wit the Buddha vehicle. There exists neither a second nor a third vehicle. Now this is in concert with what you've heard me say many times, is the Buddha has always taught the same thing. Shakyamuni, yes, we can designate the early teachings, the Hinayana, the early Mahayana, the later Mahayana, right? The, the, the five periods of teachings, Pertendai or Ji, right? Ji. Um, um, the, um, the, the perfection of wisdom sutras versus, uh, you know, the Virmala Kirti. We can separate and separate and designate and, and qualify. But the intent, remember Buddhism is about the mind, attitude, and intent. The intent from the first words out of his mouth following his enlightenment uh, to teach those five remaining disciples and then onward was the same. But he attuned his ways of talking about it to the capacity of those clay pots, those persons who were working within the limitations they had set for themselves. That's one of the hardest lessons in Buddhism, I think, especially for our arrogant world today. This cult of self is so, so ingrained in us today. Everything is me, 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 me. Well, I'm this and I'm that and I'm, right? Identity, identity, identity. It's everything today. And those, though we struggle mightily to claim our identities, what we don't realize is that all that effort is actually diminishing our potential. Yeah. We're getting in our own way. That's such a hard lesson. How do I not do that? Well, there's one way you can do it without even having to think about it. Because all of us have a potential to maximally experience everything we're capable of. Our Buddha. Our Buddha witness, our Buddha mind, our Buddha clarity, our Buddha knowledge. We all have it. And it is equal. Yours isn't better than mine. Mine isn't better than hers. Theirs isn't better than ours. Buddha is Buddha. Because it is the ultimate truth, the clarity of the engine of life. Eyes are bothering me today. I apologize for blinking so much. There's neither a second nor a third. So just instantiate that, and you will naturally get out of your own way. You you must. 
When this had been said, the long-lived Kashyapa said to Buddha, But if, Buddha, the, the beings who have extracted themselves from the triple sphere are of assorted predispositions, is their nirvana one or two or three? I just answered that. Buddha said, Nirvana, you see, Kashyapa, comes from an understanding of the sameness of all dharmas. And it is one, not two, and not three. Buddha's Buddha. For this reason, you see, Kashyapa, I will fashion a parable for you. By a single parable, men of discernment understand the meaning of what is said. So here we go. Suppose, O Kashyapa, that there is a man born blind. He speaks as follows. There are no slightly or unsightly, sorry, there are no sightly or unsightly shapes, nor are there any viewers of sightly or unsightly shape. Well, he's blind. He can say that with utter truth, yeah? There are no sun and moon. There are no stars. There are no planets, nor are there any viewers of planets. Then other men speak as follows in the presence of that Congenitally, congenitally blind man. But there are sightly and unsightly shapes. There are viewers of sightly and unsightly shapes. There are sun and moon. There are stars. There are planets. There are viewers of planets. But the man born blind does not believe those men, nor does he accept what they say. No, no, no you're all full of baloney. Now there is a certain physician who knows all ailments. He sees that the man born blind, the following occurs to him. This man has fallen victim to an ailment thanks to a former evil deed. Something has prohibited him from seeing. That's basically. Whatever ailments arise, they are all of four kinds. Rheumatic, bilious, phlegmatic, or due to a derangement of the humors, right? Old medicinal talk. Then the physician thinks again and again of a means to put an end to that ailment. The following occurs to him. Whatever drugs are current, with them this ailment cannot be treated. But on the snowy king of mountains, there are four herbs. Which four? The first is named the one possessed of all colors, flavors, and states of being. The second is named the one that brings release from all ailments, and the third is named the one that destroys all poisons. The fourth is named the one that confers happiness on those standing in the right place. These four herbs. Then the physician, showing compassion for that man born blind, thinks of a device by means of which he is able to go to the snowy king of mountains and, having gone, ascend it, then descend it, and also search thoroughly, th uh, search through it thoroughly. Searching in this way, he finds the four herbs, and having found them, he gives the blind man one chewed with his teeth, one he gives with him pounded, on uh, one he gives the man uh, cooked in a mixture of other things, and one he gives him mixed with things raw. 
One he gives him after piercing his body with a lancet. One he gives him after burning it in fire. One he gives him mixed with a variety of things, including even such things as food, drink, and the like. Then that man, born blind, through the application of those devices, regains his sight. Regains or gains his sight. Having regained his sight, he sees externally and internally far and near. The light of the sun and moon, the stars, the planets, and all shapes. And he speaks as follows. Oh, what a fool I have been. I was not in believing those who spoke to me earlier in not accepting what they said. I now see everything. I am released from blindness. I have regained my sight. There is now no one superior to me. Then at that time, the, there are seers endowed with the five kinds of super knowledge skilled in the heavenly eye, the eye, in the heavenly ear, in the knowledge of the thoughts of others, in the knowledge consisting of recollection of former states of being in supernatural powers and in the achievement of deliverance, liberation, right? They address that man as follows, Sir, you have merely regained your sight, but you do not know everything or anything. Whence comes your arrogance? Suddenly, now you have sight, you think you know it all? For you have no wisdom, and you are not learned. They speak to him in this way. When you, sir, seated in your inner house, neither see nor know other forms outside, nor which beings are well disposed to you, nor which ill disposed, and when you cannot discern or understand or hear the sound of a man standing five leagues away and talking or a drum or a conch shell or the like, and when you cannot go more than a league without lifting your feet, and when you were born and grew in your mother's womb and remember none of these acts, in what sense are you wise? And how can you say, I see everything? Very well, sir. Take darkness for light and light for darkness, if that is what you wish. Then that man addressed those seers as follows. By resort to what device, by doing what good deed, may I acquire such wisdom? By your favor, acquire these qualities. Oh, now he's open to suggestions from others. Hmm. Then those seers tell the man the following. If you wish them, live in the forest, or think of the Dharma, seated in the mountain caves, and your defilements are to be forsaken. In that way, endowed with pure qualities, you shall acquire the various kinds of super-knowledge. Now, that little paragraph says a lot, and it relies on a lot of previous learning prior to this sutra, does it not? Some of you are reading, maybe inspired by this, this resource, reading earlier sutras, or maybe you, you have for a long time. But now they're coming into play, right? Because what has been taught in those earlier sutras is now popping up here as just matter-of-fact things that we know. Hmm? Which is why I'm a big proponent of studying broadly. Then that man, having received that meaning, goes forth, 
Dwelling in the forest, his mind concentrated on a single object and forsaking his worldly cravings, he gains the five kinds of superknowledge. And having acquired the various kinds of superknowledge, he thinks, whatever other deed I might have done formerly, no good quality ever accrued to me because of it. Now I go wherever I think I go, whereas formerly I was a person of slight wisdom and slight experience, a blind man. This parable has been fashioned thus, Okashapa, in order to set forth the following meaning. This, moreover, is the point to be seen in it. By those born blind, Okashapa, are meant the beings dwelling in the round of the six destinies, the lower realms, you know, who do not know the true Dharma and who augment the darkness of their own impurities. Hmm? It's just circling around in samsaric delusion. They never get anywhere. They think they are, but they're just mashing through the same things over and over and over again. <gasps> you ever heard yourself or somebody else say, why do I always end up here? Why do I always get involved with people like this? Why do I always end up in this situation? Hello, circles. Yeah? For they are blind with ignorance and... Being blind with ignorance, heap up predispositions, samskara, samsara, and going back to the predispositions, name and form, and so on, until this whole great mass of suffering has taken shape. In this way, the beings, blinded by ignorance, right? And ignorance isn't stupid. Stupid is staying there, but ignorance is just, just not knowing, stand in the round of transmigration. But the thus gone one, having himself escaped a triple fear, sphere, generates compassion, showing compassion as would a father for a dear and only son. And as he leaves the triple sphere, he beholds the beings tumbling about in the round of transmigration. Nor are they aware of an exit from the round, then the Buddha sees them with the eye of wisdom, and seeing them, he knows these beings have formerly done some good, are of slight hatred and of strong lust, or of slight lust and strong hatred, some wise, some mature in purity, some of wrong views. To these beings, the thus gone one through his skill in, de in devising expedients demonstrates the three vehicles as they suit the individuals, yeah? Thereupon, as did those seers with the five kinds of superknowledge and the pure vision, so too the bodhisattvas intuit with the intuition of unexcelled and proper enlightenment, producing thoughts of enlightened intuition and accepting the doctrine of unproduced dharmas. So now where are we? Yeah, we're getting long in the tooth here. So I'm going to continue this in the next uh, installment, next video. Um, what I was going to make a point here. Um, mm, okay, I'm not going to try to outboot the Buddha. <laughs> Thank you for listening. 
It's fascinating, these stories, these translations. Uh, the more of them I read, whether it's the translations or just repeating, reciting, essentially, the sutras with you, the same sutra, different insights kind of bubble up, come about, right? Um, and I hope this is true for you, too. So uh, let me know if you're enjoying this. Uh, some of you uh, have let me know that uh, this is very helpful for you, so that's inspiring. It helps me to feel confident that I'm doing the work of Bodhisattva, yeah? Don't forget all the links in the description, whether you want to get ebooks or free podcasts or free information on threefoldlaws.com, all of the, the rest, you know it. Patrons, thank you so much. We all appreciate your support for this resource. Take care of your health. Keep your practice strong. And I will see you in the next one. Bye for now. Oh.